Thank you for choosing to listen to today's message by Reverend Dr. David Etchley. We know you will be blessed as you seek and serve God. We believe that this message will stir up a desire for more of God, even as you listen. Be blessed. Hello. God bless you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to be able to teach God's word and share God's word with you. And I'm very grateful to God. We are thankful for him keeping us alive. The God who has brought us this far will certainly take us that far. The God who has brought us this far will certainly take us that far and will give us, he will grant us safe passage. Next year by now, we will all be around serving God, rejoicing in God and giving him true worship. God bless you so much. Unto him who alone deserves all the praise, who has done all the, all, all these. We give him all the honor, praise through Christ Jesus, our Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that give us grace, enlighten the eyes of our understanding, that as we hear your word, our spirits will be revived. As we hear your word, we will grant us a burning heart experience. As we hear your word, there will be illumination and enlightenment that will take us deeper into you. For those that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Let Christ be revealed. Let God be glorified. I pray for the sick. Anyone listening to me who is sick or suffering anywhere in their body, I pray for healing. I pray for divine visitation. I pray that, Lord, you convict the sinning. Lord, save the Lord. Deliver the captives. Glorify your name and let your people be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. This thing is a spiritual thing. This thing is a spiritual thing. Last week, I was talking in continuation or continuation from where I left last week, um, the true worshiper. And last week I focused on the Christocentric doxology, the New Testament doxology. And I said the New Testament doxology or the New Testament offering of praise to God is based and hinged around Christ. Christ must be central. Without him, nothing was made that was made. John Chapter one, verse three. So said the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He repeated with God twice. He was with God and yet he was God. The mystery of godliness. Hallelujah. So, uh, and I said, Christ must be the center. Now, Jesus said, let me go back and I'll pick it from where in John chapter four, verse 21, Jesus said unto her, talking about the woman that believe me, the hour comes when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the father. You are asking me a religious question. You are asking me a question of where worship should happen. Um, the woman, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Professor, for me to get a house. No. I perceive thou art a... This woman who doesn't seem to carry respect because she's had a, a different episodes with men, as I said, half breed hall. Jesus went to meet her. It would have been it would, it would, it would have looked or appeared as if Jesus should have gone to meet 
a rabbi or gone to meet a religious leader or gone to meet a very good person, a philanthropist or somebody who is a, a, a very carries a lot of respect in the society. Jesus went to meet this woman. And this woman, you know what surprises me about her? She was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. She had a certain limited understanding of the Messiah. She was looking forward. So when she found out that Jesus was a prophet, she didn't ask initially. It started by asking for water, the kind of water that will make her come back to the well. But when she found out that she Jesus was a prophet, this woman who most people would will frown upon or most people would disdain had certain level of spiritual sense. She she did not when you meet a prophet, don't just ask for things that will benefit you. Ask for what will enhance your worship. Because they that know their God are those who end up being strong and doing exploits. It's not those who have been prayed for necessarily. It is those who know they are God. This woman wanted, when Jesus spoke about, when she began to suspect this man is a prophet, she brought the issue of what is most central on God's heart. And guess what? She introduced the, the subject of worship. If you are a prophet, let's talk about worship. Because worship is the most important thing, so long as God is concerned. So she introduced worship. She didn't say, I need to have a very ex- a wonderful experience. She didn't, she was not, hu- she, she didn't go from human centeredness, but she went from God centeredness. The job of a prophet, pastor, apostle, evangelist, teacher, a minister of God is to help you to get closer to God, not necessarily to take from God and give to you and do things for you so that you become the center of his assignment instead of God being the center of his assignment. Ministry comes from God through man to man and worship comes from uh, worship is from below to above. Well, ministry is from above to below. You know, so it's so important that we should understand and prioritize worship. But let's go on. It says that the woman said to to him, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye, talking about Jews, ye, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. They ought to. It's a necessity requirement. There is a certain place. That is what God gave to the Jews, that there is a certain place which you, uh, in which or where you must worship. It's a necessity. If you want to give God genuine worship, then it must be located, so long as the Old Testament was concerned, it was, it must be tied, a quality Old Testament worship, which has a reflection in the New Testament worship, must of a necessity be tied to a certain place. A certain place in the Old Testament. So now it says that you said on in Jerusalem, men ought. That means if you worship in Mount Gerizim, uh, um, Samaritans, you are missing it. You are missing it. You can't worship in Mount Gerizim. But that, they also said that's where they, they, they had to worship. So our fathers worship in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes 
when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. So I emphasized on the Father. Worship the Father, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. For God is a spirit. He took it further that the Father who needs to be worshipped is a father who is a spirit. <laughs> he is a father who is a spirit. God is a spirit. And because of that, and they that worship him must of necessity, I'm adding my own words, but must, a necessary requirement, must worship him in spirit and in truth. The time is coming when the true worshippers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. For such seek God. God is looking for those who worship him in spirit. Why? Because he himself is a spirit. So he said, let's move this thing from a location into the spirit. <laughs> from a physical, a geographical location. So what God told the, the, the Israelites about worship was true. But it was just a shadow reflecting the, the, real, the, real, the reality that will come in our days. So, or that will come with the coming or with the resurrection of Christ. So, Jesus told the woman that the hour is coming when the worshippers of the Father worship his spirit and truth. And I said that last week, I said that the Christian, Christian worship, genuine Christian worship is Christocentric. And if Christ, Jesus said, must worship the Father, that implied by implication must worship Christ. And the Father, and of in the Trinity, the Father. So the Father there is not necessarily like our Father who art in heaven, which is the same. But here, when he made reference to the Father, he's making reference to the Father as it relates to the Son. For instance, in John one eighteen, as I said the other time, he says that no one has seen the Father at any time, but the Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he's like this with him. That's why John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. And I referred to John chapter 5, um, verse, uh, the father works, he that too I work. Verse 19, of, sorry, verse 17, and the 19 continue. But the verse 23 said that, um, for 20, 22 says that, for the father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the son. You see, the father-son correlation. The father is inseparable relationship and inseparable oneness. Alright, so you can't talk about the father without the son. So what Jesus was saying that you can, time is coming when it's not based on a place, but the object of worship is not just God, but it's the father. When you talk about father, you are talking about, you are worshiping God the father in the, in the name of the father, son, and the Holy Spirit. You cannot get to God without Christ. Now, I want to throw a bit more light on it. It said the father has committed judgment to the son. Unto the son, verse 23, that all men should, should watch this. All men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. So you see, our honor to the son must be the same honor that goes to the, you cannot worship God without worshiping Christ. As I said the other time, any worship that worships God, any worship to God that does not worship Christ is 
a, a false worship. Any worship to God that does not worship Christ. Any worship you give to God which you can't give to Christ is not an acceptable worship. And it is a different worship that God is, God is looking for. Very important. So he says that the father, when he's talking about the father seeks such, by implication, he means that the father, you are worshiping the father, you can't do it without the, without the son. So that means that. So in the New Testament, the centrality of the son, Jesus Christ, becomes everything. So that if the devil wants to attack your relationship with God, he will come first of all for the Bible. The word of God. He will attack the word of God and he will attack the sonship of Christ or the deity of Christ. Oh God, Christ is not the son of God. He's not God. He's just a human being who grew up and then eventually he was so good. Eventually he developed himself so much that he became like God. He, he attained the divine status. So he wasn't born divine, but he attained it. No, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Before he became flesh, he was God. So uh, that is very important to understand that. But now the Christ is so central to, to the extent that, in fact, in Thessalonians, Second um, Thessalonians chapter, Second um, Thessalonians chapter one verse eight, just to uh, throw a little bit more light on this. Look, look at this. This is quite interesting. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse eight says that. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, it's obedience to Christ. Your your disobedience to Christ will cost you your eternal placement in heaven. That is what I'm trying to say. So the New Testament, Christ is so central. Bible says that therefore, for God has in Philippians chapter two verse um, nine, wherefore God has highly, also highly exalted and given him a name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. Paraphrasing that verse eleven, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father, the whole thing doxology is going to the glory of the Father, but it has to come through the Son. Right, so every every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah! That's doxology there, but it has to go through the Son. And in uh, I saw this text; it was very powerful. In the book of um, uh, 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 Psalm, 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 Psalm two. It's amazing text. Psalm, Psalm two. It says in Psalm two verse twelve. Yeah, Psalm two verse twelve. It says, "Kiss the Son, lest he be angry with you." Kiss the Son. Ah, Jesus, you are amazing. If you can't kiss him, if you don't kiss him, ah, if you don't love him, that's what it means. If you don't love him, if you are not relating to Christ with affection, passionate about Christ, God will not be pleased with you. Yeah, that is, that's the, that's the New Testament doxology. It's all about Christ. So worshiping the Father means that focusing on Christ, giving it to the Father. Once we focus on Christ, it will end on the Father. Because Christ said, I and my Father are the one. I and the Father. He said, have you, I've been with you. Oh, Thomas, Thomas, come on. Or oh, Philip. He said, Philip, sorry. Philip, I've been with you all this while. Don't know me. Philip said, show us the Father is enough for us. John chapter 14 from verse 7, 8, 9. Jesus said, I've been with you all this while. Don't know me. <laughs> and like, he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Don't, don't waste your time trying to prove that Jesus is God to anybody who is an unbeliever. It's not worth it. 
Don't waste your time trying to prove. Just preach that he died for our sins. What unbelievers need is forgiveness of sins, not explanation of Christ or explanation of his deity. It's not explanation, it's forgiveness. So they need forgiveness. And because unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John chapter 3, verse 3. Except a man is born, he can't see. We are trying to show you. Why are you trying to buy, show a, a blind man different types of light? <laughs> That's just explanation. So what unbelievers know, need to know is that Christ died for our sins, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. It said, according to the, the, God, the, the scriptures, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he resurrected. He died and he resurrected on the third day, according to this. So he did that. That's the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Some people, it's not everybody who believe. Okay, let me not go into that before some people. But not everybody will believe. Let me hear, I'd rather go to First Corinthians chapter um chapter one verse eighteen. First Corinthians one eighteen says the 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 preaching of the cross or this message we are preaching, it is foolishness to them that are perishing. But to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. Right. So they are the same thing that you are preaching with someone gets upset, wants to castigate you and hate you for that same thing is saving somebody. Someone loves you for it. It's a kiss the sun. <laughs> In first Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, it says that <laughs> it says, there's a serious thing. Is it? Is that, uh, curse be anyone, curse be anyone who does not love the Lord Jesus. That's a serious thing. Curse be the one who doesn't love Jesus. Because if you don't love Jesus, what can God do for you again? Is the unforgivable sin. It cannot be forgiven. It's like, that's what actually blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, man. Unforgivable sin. So he said, it, it says, curse be the one who does not love Jesus Christ. <laughs> curse is anyone who does. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. Curse in the Bible, yeah. The last verse in First Corinthians. First Corinthians. He will, curse be the one who does not love the Lord. Maranatha means come Lord. Maranatha, come, come. Lord, come. He's coming. He said, I'm going to come. You come. Didn't he say, I'm going to resurrect? Didn't he resurrect? Yeah, so if he says he's going to come, he's going to come. The one who has overcome death and is alive, if he's coming, it's easier. It's easier to come back than to resurrect. So if he has resurrected, then coming back is easier. He's going to come. And every heaven and earth shall pass away. All these things that are happening around us, a time is coming to, it's gone. Whatever you have is never permanent. It's only your relationship, what you have done in God and for God that will speak towards eternity. I want to encourage you. Let's do more for God. Well, this whole thing as I'm speaking, I'm speaking, speaking, but it's a spiritual thing. This thing is a spiritual thing. Bro, this thing is a spiritual thing. Sis, this thing is a spiritual thing. It's very spiritual. It's deeply spiritual. Hallelujah. So you, we have to love the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the center of everything that we're doing. So the object of worship, the object of worship is Christ. God. Christ. All right. So he says that the time is coming when the, uh, we spoke about how worship is so paramount. It's so essential to go. Worship is a priority. And then we spoke about the, the, the object of, uh, or we spoke about the, um, source of worship. The source of our worship is God. The work of God in redemption. So God saves you. This, the act of saving us is the source of our uh, um, 
redemption. It's the source of worship, so true worship. So God is, the Bible said the time is coming and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. So the true worshippers, we are for such, sorry, for such seeks the Father to worship him. In John chapter 6, verse 44, 37 and 44, it talks about no one can come to me except the Father draws him. So that's why I was saying earlier on, when we preach to people, we shouldn't think that the fact that they have rejected the preaching is a foolish is foolish preaching because to those who are perishing is foolishness. First Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen and chapter one verse twenty three. He said we preach Christ to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are saved, both Jews and Greek, is the same thing is the power of God. Both Jews and Greek. So to a group of people, to a group of people, the Jews, this thing you are preaching is foolishness. So it's a stumbling block. It's an offense. To another group of people, this thing you are preaching is foolishness. Because I want something intellectual. What are you saying? Uh, it's foolishness. What the Bible says, however, those who are, uh, those who are saved, the, both Greeks and Jews, people are saved from there. Those, the categories who consider it foolishness and categories who consider it a stumbling block, there are people amongst them who see it as the power of God. So we have to preach. As you are preaching, I'm like, ah, this foolishness. But somebody amongst those who think is foolish is being saved. Somebody amongst those who should be offended or who will be offended, not should, who would, who shouldn't be offended, but who will be offended because the gospel offends the heart of the sinner. The gospel is offensive to the sinner. Preaching the gospel is, that is why Christianity can never be loved by normal people. They may like what we do. They may like the good works we do. They may like the niceness. They may like our works and our activities, but they cannot like our message because the message cuts. The message, Satan is, if we can stop the message and just do what we do, people will be happy. People will have a problem with you if you will abandon the message Christ has given you. But that's why Paul had to say, I'm going over, I... I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel, he said, said to Timothy, I quoted it last Sunday, that be not ashamed of the testimony of Christ. First, second Timothy chapter one, verse eighteen. Be not ashamed. Sorry, verse eight. Be not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, neither of me his prisoner. I'm in prison for preaching. He said, for which reason? Verse eleven. For which first, first second Timothy chapter one, verse eleven. For which reason I suffer all these things? Verse twelve. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I. I have believed and I'm persuaded. <laughs> I know in whom I believed. He said, I'm, I'm in This word, the message was committed. Very read it, verse 10 and verse 11. The message was committed to me. He said, For this reason, I'm in prison. So the message can get you into prison. The message that God has given us, the, the message is not liked by unbelievers. Unbelievers won't like it, but God has sent us to tell them not to offend them. Our object, no, no. but the message we are carrying is an offensive message. It's an offensive message, not because it had to offense, offend people, but the heart of man, the heart, unbelieving heart finds it offensive, even though it is remedial. It is meant to save. It's salvific. It's, re, it's salvific. It means to redemption. But the heart, the blindness, the blinded heart of um, an unbeliever will find it offensive. Yes. Second Corinthians chapter four. 
verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. Lest, in whose eyes the God of this world has blinded? Lest they will believe the gospel of Christ. Blinded. So, bro, man of God, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Let's stick to it. Christ is the center. And so, the focus, we have been redeemed to be worshippers. So, the source of worship is the work of salvation. The object of worship is the Father. Okay? The sphere, the sphere of worship. He said, it is everywhere, anywhere, anytime, any day. It is not, it is not dependent and hinged on a certain place. So, if you don't go to Jerusalem, you are not a true worshiper. Listen, you don't have to be in Israel to be a pure Christian. They are, being in Israel does not necessarily determine whether, in fact, they, they killed him in Israel. And there are a lot of unbelievers everywhere, including Israel. Am I against going to Israel? No, no, no. It's a nice place to be if you're a Christian. At least it just, it's a Bible land. So it's nice to go if you get a chance to, but it, it, it really doesn't determine whether you be a fire, a horse Christian or not. It's just like going to Bible school. It doesn't determine whether you be a fiery Christian or not. It's your engagement and commitment to God from your spirit and faithfulness to a local church. Seven. What, that's what determines your spiritual fire. That, that, those things are very important. And so it says it's not based on a location. It's the sphere of our worship is everywhere, anywhere, any day, anytime. So I can worship any day, anytime, wherever you are, you are, you are at work and your break time, you choose to go and use it to spend time with God. Oh, it's acceptable. And your thoughts, as I keep saying, your thoughts, your words, your actions are an, an expression of worship because you are bringing God respect and honor. It's a commitment to bring him respect and honor through your thoughts, your words, and your actions. So now it leads us to the next point, the nature of worship. This thing is a spiritual thing. Until worship, let's, let's read the text. Let me go into the text. In John chapter 4 verse um, twenty. 3 and 24. But the hour is coming. And now is then, sorry, and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in true, in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. So he said, how are we going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? The nature of worship, genuine worship, the nature of accept, of acceptable worship. Oh, true worshiper. What makes you a true worshiper is when you worship the right way. And the right way, the nature of our worship must be in spirit and in truth. This thing is spiritual. Say, this thing is not mental. It's just mental. It's not just mental. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. In, in Psalm, um, 51 verse 15. Psalm 51 verse 15. It says, open it here already. Psalm 51 verse 15 says that, Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. I like it. It said, open my lips. So there is an internal work going on before it shows up, it shows externally. There is an intent. He said, Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praises. Romans chapter 1 verse 9. He says that my, uh, 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 my God, whom the God of my fathers, whom 
I serve with my spirit. That is pivotal in today's teaching. I serve the God of our fathers or my fathers with my spirit. I serve the God of my fathers with my spirit. I serve him with my spirit. Romans. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Romans chapter 1 verse 9 says that, For God is my witness, who, whom I serve, this is New King James Version, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. <laughs> that without season, I make mention. So, I serve God is my witness, the God is my witness. So for God is my witness, whom I serve, right? Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. I serve God with my spirit. Man of God, woman of God, my brothers and sisters, this thing is a spiritual thing. This thing is the spiritual thing. Let's not judge it on the surface. It's a spiritual. He said, this thing I'm doing, Paul said, I'm doing it by through the engagement of my spirit man, my inner man, my inner man. Ephesians chapter, chapter three, verse 16, it says that, and I pray for you that God will strengthen you. The the God of whom the whole family and earth, heaven and earth is named will give you the spirit of wisdom in the uh, the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of, will strengthen you. Sorry, will, will strengthen you with might by His Spirit into your inner, or in your inner man. That God will strengthen you by His Spirit in your inner man, in your inner man. He will strengthen you by His Spirit in your inner man. Ephesians chapter three, verse sixteen. He says that that. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. There is an inner man in you. You are not just all we see. What we see is not all you are. There is more to you. Oh, I like this way. There is more to you than what we see. There is more to you than what we see. There is, oh, thank you, Jesus. There is more to me than what you see. That is why it will be, it will, it will be travesty of judgment. <laughs> it's, 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 it will be wrong to just judge me based on just what you see. It will be wrong for me to judge you based on what I see. So sometimes even I may see you doing something that is good, but it does not mean that it's God or it's true worship. Even though what whatever is on the inside will begin to show on the outside. Out of the, Jesus said this, out of the abundance, um, Matthew chapter 12, I think 34, 36 or 32 somewhere the 34 out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks what is loaded in your eyes said how can you be evil bring forth good things out of your heart no it cannot be jesus said in matthew chapter 5 that a tree is known by its fruits you can know what kind of tree it is by just looking at its fruit by their fruits you shall know them by their fruits you shall know them. And I think in Matthew chapter 12, yeah, verse 31, no, 32, 33, 34. He said, a tree is known by its fruits. 
For how can you be evil, bring for good things out of your heart? And then how can you, he said, for out of the abundance of the man, a man's heart, the mouth speaks. What you are on the inside will show. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 15. It is not what enters you that defies a man. Matthew chapter 8. It's not what enters a man that defies him, but it is what comes out of him. What, because what comes out of you is coming from your core. You, you, you have an inner man. The Bible says that, um, may God strengthen you into your inner man. This is a spiritual thing. I like the scripture I'm about to quote. Oh, I feel like clapping for Jesus first. In Psalm 103 verse 1, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and within my inner man it's from inside before it shows up on the outside genuine worship is from the inside your spirit man is your inner man your inner man your spirit man is what determines your worship life your spirit man so he says that Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He enters from within and pulls it out from within to the glory of the Lord. So that means that, as I said, worship must first and foremost be be stemming out of your spirit. Because, watch this, verse 24 of John chapter 4, God is a spirit. When Jesus died on the cross, in the past, temples used to be the central place of worship. And so in Jerusalem, temple. Alright? The temple oh, used to be the central place of worship. And actually, God told them, and uh, um, this is a very important text, we, we have to see it. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, it says, but you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his, to, uh, to put his name for his dwelling place. Alright? And there you shall go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe and heave offerings of your hands, your, 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 uh, your vowed offerings, your free will offerings, they are vowed offerings. You vowed to do something for God. The time you were in trouble. And after he said, God, if you do this, I'll do this. He did it. He didn't do it. He's watching you. He hasn't forgotten. He's watching us. Oh Lord, help us to honor you with our vows. He says that your vow, your free will offerings and the firstborn of your heads, that's first fruits. He said, don't take it anywhere. No, 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 no. It's not everywhere you take it. I will show you. He said, let me read the verse five again. But you shall seek the place. You have to do the seeking. There's a place. He said, you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses. You don't choose. He has chosen a place and he said, now look for it. I have chosen the place where the Lord your God chooses. Hmm. Out of all your tribe, your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. Watch this. So he says that this is the place I'll be living. That's where I'm going to stay. Uh, that's that's where I'm going to be. When you're looking for me, you got to come here. When you're coming to bring me worship, got to come here. That uh, explains the question of the woman. 
you Jews says that it's in Jerusalem that we ought to worship because that was where God had chosen. When God was uh, in the Old Testament, he always designated a place that come here and give me worship because I am here. Even though I'm everywhere, I have, I have, I have used this place as a reflection of my presence amongst you. Come here, meet me. So he says, this is where God dwells. I live here. Not that physically he's there, but so they had to put systems in place like the Ark of the Covenant was there. And they have to put, it has been, it has to be built according to a certain specification. And so it's God, Tied himself as it were to a place, but guess what? That is why every place, every religion that has temples, you go in and there are special things there that show that this place is a very special place, unique place, and that is where worship must be go. That's why it's kind of interesting when a church is called a temple <laughs> because we have moved out from the temple days, right? So he says that now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, in first Corinthians and in second Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 9. 6, uh, 6 verse 19. You are the temple of the First Corinthians 6 19. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are the temple. So when they, they said Jesus to give them a sign to show his authority for doing all these things in John chapter 2 verse 21, he said, destroy the temple and in three days I'll raise it. I'll raise it up. So they said, but you, I, I'll raise it. Destroy the temple and in three days I'll raise it. And Jesus said, you they said, you are not yet, uh, do you know how long it has taken to build this temple? But Bible said they didn't know that he spoke of his body. So his body was the temple, you crucified, he was talking about his death, you raised it up in, on the third day. Right? So temple, that was, so they, they had to go to the temple to worship because God has tied his name there and like that's God's dwelling place. But when Jesus died on the cross, Matthew chapter 27, Verse 51, Bible says that the curtain in the, uh, the, the, uh, temple, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom because it's like God himself ripped, held it at the top and ripped it, said no more. Now the, the, th- the curtain usually separated the holies of holies from the, uh, outer court or the inner court. So the holies of holies were separated from the rest of the temple. So you would never see what is within. That's where the unique presence of God, as it were, was the tabernacle. Bible, according to Hebrews chapter 9 or chapter 4. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3, 4, 5 there. It talks about the tabernacle and the temple. So when the curtain was torn, it's like there's now no physical holy place of holies of holies. So that's why in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says that let us come to Jesus without, within the veil. So Jesus has gone beyond the veil. Where, that's where, no, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20 says that wherein our forerunner has entered for us. So Christ has entered beyond the veil, spiritual veil, into the presence of God, the holies of holies. He said, now we also can come bold. That's why I said, now you can come boldly before the throne of grace. You know what I'm saying? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, uh, it says that, let us come boldly 
Alright, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. You couldn't go to the throne of grace, but something has changed. When Jesus died on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, as I said earlier, 51, the curtain was ripped and that was freedom. Now, the, the worship is no more tied to a place because God is, as it were, no more living in a place. Where is the dwelling place of God? God must, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is, thank you, Holy Spirit. I like this one. God, ha, thank you, Lord. The reason why God made the heavens and the earth is so he will have a dwelling here. So God of a necessity on earth has always sought a dwelling and his dwelling is amongst his people. God is always, that's why he will always have his people, not one person, but he can through one person form his people or call his people. He called Abraham because he was looking for a people. And he, Abraham couldn't have a child, but he, he himself his word became the uh, uh, invigorating power and energized Abraham, gave him that sperm that was finished. God's word, because said the word of God is sperma. The Greek word is sperma. It's like I said, says that you are born again, not of corruptible seed, seed, but of incorruptible, which is the word of God. First Peter chapter one, verse 23. So the seed, the word of God is a seed. Luke chapter eight, verse 11. Jesus said, the word is the seed or the seed is the word. So the word is the seed. So when God spoke to Abraham, Genesis chapter 21, verse um, one and two, Bible said, and God did unto Sarah as he has promised, as he has promised. He spoke a word to Abraham. Bible says that Abraham against hope believed in hope that according to what was, that he might become a father of many nations, according to what was spoken, according to what was said, Romans chapter four, verse 17 and 18, according to what was said, what was said, a word came from God. He believed the word. And when he believed the word, the word entered his body. So his body that was dead became revived and is, and then he went through his body into Sarah's room. That was also dead. Wherever the seed gets to, he revives it. <laughs> Sarah's womb was dead until the seed came from Abraham. How did he enter to Abraham? He heard the word. The word of God is a seed. As I'm speaking to you, you are receiving a seed for your healing. You are receiving a seed for your miracles. You are receiving a seed for your breakthrough. You are receiving a seed for your ministry. You are receiving a seed for your elevation. You are receiving a seed for your laughter. You are receiving a seed for your family breakthrough, your marriage, for your healing, for your financial health, for your financial help. You are receiving a healing for your education. To excel in your education, you are receiving a you are receiving a seed. The word of God is a seed, and when it is received unto good heart, it brings forth fruit: some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some a hundredfold. I pray that yours will bring forth fruit hundred, sixty, and thirty. Because your heart, may your heart be a fertile ground, fertile ground for the seed of God to germinate and to grow and to produce. Hallelujah. Amen. So anytime the seed of God enters you, it comes to terminate anything of the devil and to germinate the things of God. When the seed of God enters you, it comes to do two things. Terminate the work of the enemy or terminate what the devil is developing and germinate what God has always purposed to do in your life. Hallelujah. So God has always wanted to live amongst men. That's why he called Abraham. He wants to live in his people, amongst his people. And he called Abraham. That's why he brought them out of Egypt. All right. To come into the wilderness or to go to the promised land where they, he will be there all in all. And so that's, that has always been the agenda of God. He's always wanted a place. But when he, to dwell amongst his people, he needed a temple. He always dwells 
in temples. But we understand by, uh, we understand from Acts chapter 17 verse 24 that the God who created the heavens, Paul, when he was preaching on Mars Hill in, uh, 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 in Areopagus, he said that the God who, uh, as the prophet said, the God who created the heavens and earth does not dwell in temples made by hands. I'm going somewhere. This whole thing is spiritual. Does not dwell in temples made by hands. In when uh, Stephen Acts chapter seven from verse forty four, when he was giving his uh, narration about about the things of God, he knew God so much. When he was when he was giving his narration about the things of God, Bible said he said Solomon David desired to build God a house, but Solomon built him the temp the house. His son Solomon built the temple. However, I like that one in Acts chapter 7, verse 44, 45. However, the, the, the most high God does not dwell in temples made by hands. So we said, the heavens, as he said in the prophet, the heavens are mine. What would you build for me? You can't build, I think, is it in Acts 7 or Acts 17? You can't build for me. He said, the heavens are mine. The earth is mine. What can you build for me to dwell in? So nobody can build for God to dwell in. So the temples that they were building in the Old Testament were, temp- ooh, 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 were temporary structures. They were temporary structures with a temporary reflection of God's presence, but it wasn't, it couldn't accommodate God. God didn't create the earth, any part of the earth to, for that place to accommodate him because Bible says the earth is his footstool. The earth, the globe, our earth, the universe cannot even contain God. But I'm going somewhere. In, according to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22, Oh, I think it's, it would be good if I read from verse 21. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 21. In whom the whole, the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. The, the building is growing. Can you imagine? The church is the only building that grows. I'm not talking about a cathedral. I'm not talking about a church building. I'm talking about the church. The church is human beings. Church, Christ in you, Christ in me. Christ in her, Christ in us, Christ in them. That is the church, all right? So he said, we are being built into a holy temple that is growing. (laughs) The only building that grows is the church. It says, in whom, um, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. (laughs) Now this temple grows. The temples of the Old Testament never grew. So you can understand when Jesus said that now the time is coming and now is when God, when, uh, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God is looking for the temple that is going to grow, be growing and he's still building his. Watch this. Verse 22, quickly. Verse 22 said, in whom, in the Lord, in whom ye also are being built together. Watch this. You see that word is very important. Central word. It's, there is a, a direct correlation between that one and what I read from, um, Exodus chapter 12 verse 5. Said, but, uh, but you shall, you shall seek, sorry, you shall seek the place where the Lord, your God chooses out of the, uh, out of the tribe to put his name for his dwelling. God chooses a place for his dwelling. Look at verse 14, um, Thank you, Jesus. 13 and 14. 
verse 13 and 14. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see. <laughs> but in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of uh, chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. And, but it says that I'll put I'll put my name there for my dwelling. Now Ephesians chapter two verse twenty two says that. Um, in whom ye are all being built together for a dwelling place for God, for God, for God, for God. So, what, when the curtain was torn in the temple, the, the physical structures no longer were places to, as it were, to be depicted as where you may go and meet God. It's no more there. So where is it? It's just, it's just in, it's the scripture I just read. Look at it again. Verse 22 again, Ephesians chapter 22, verse 22. In whom ye also being built together for a dwelling place of God. Where? In this. In the spirit. This thing is a spiritual thing. This thing is a spiritual thing. I'm telling you. This thing is a, it's a spiritual thing. He says that in the spirit, Paul, he says that thanks be to God who I worship, I serve with my spirit. It's a spiritual thing. Now we are being built together as a holy temple, a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Watch this. He says that he told them in the Old Testament, where are you supposed to worship? Worship in the place where I put my name as my dwelling. Now, the dwelling place of God is in the spirits of the saved. It's in the spirits of those who are saved, in the spirits of those who know Christ, in the spirits of the people of God. He's in the spirit because he has always had a dwelling place in heaven and has wanted a dwelling place on earth. So before he formed Israel, he, as it were, one day I preached a message, as it were, the one who dwells in the bush, he was in the bush. So Moses met him in the bush. Uh, like a burning bush in Exodus chapter 1. Moses saw a burning bush. He said, who are you? Yeah, God was in the bush. And when he was, when Jacob was blessing, sorry, when Moses was blessing Deuteronomy chapter 33, he said, God bless you. May you receive the blessing of the one who dwells in the bush. Because he was dwelling in the bush, tongue bush, tongue bush. is like uh, when God cursed Adam, he said, tongues and thistles shall this thing grow. Tongue bush. And God couldn't wait because it was like he was homeless. Because the only place God dwells, God can dwell and feel comfortable is inside you if you are born again. Yeah. And that's what he has been waiting for. He wanted Adam. Adam, don't eat this fruit for the nature of the devil to enter you. Eat the tree of life. Oh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. He planted the tree of life in the middle. So you can't miss it. It is right in the middle. And the tree of knowledge of good is also there. There are a lot of other trees, three types of trees. Trees for natural nourishment. But the other one, uh, other two, where one is the one in the center of which God, God packaged himself as a tree. Oh, remember, Genesis chapter 2, tree of life was there. Revelation chapter 22, the tree of life is still there in the New Jerusalem. Tree of life, who is the Christ? Christ said, I am the vine, you are the branches. So if he's a vine and he says that I am life, in, in him is life. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the resurrection and the life. John 11, John 11, 25. I'm the resurrection and the life. And he said, John 5, John 15, 
4 and 5, uh, one, he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. That means, so he's the vine of life, the tree of life. He was in Genesis. He showed up physically in the New Testament and he's with us in the church and in Revelation, he's going to still be the tree of, the tree of life. It's the life. God created us to eat in him. Ooh, in him, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word, John chapter one, verse one and two. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning, verse two. The same was in the beginning of, with the beginning of God. Verse three. In him, is life. Verse, I'm sorry. Verse, all things were made like. Verse five says, in him is life. Oh, he was life. And the life is the, 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 so in him was life as four. And the light was the light, light of men. The light, the light shines in darkness and darkness cannot suppress it. I like the way King James puts it. Darkness comprehended it not. <laughs> he's the life he's life he's life to us so if you have Christ you have life if you don't have Christ you don't have life I quoted this scripture last Sunday in Detroit, um, in First Timothy sorry 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 9 he says that um, Christ he has called according to holy calling uh, Christ who has um, abolished death and he has abolished death and brought Life and immortality to light. God, who has abolished death, and Christ, who has abolished death, and brought life and immortality to life, to light. In Him is life, and the life was the light of men. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. He says that in John chapter five, verse thirty-nine. You said through the scriptures, said to the Jews, you said through the scriptures. Thinking that in them you might, you have eternal life. Verse 40 said, and these scriptures are testifying of me. Yet you will not come to me that you have eternal life. You have eternal life. I, in him is life. And so in Genesis, God packaged himself in the form of a tree of life. And he said, man, eat me, eat me because I made you in my image. When you eat me, I can fit exactly into you. It's just like gloves in the image of the hand, in the image of the hand. It has five fingers, the little finger, the index, index finger. And the middle finger and the ring finger and the thumb. All the, the thumb is not here. So if you, if you buy a glove and the thumb is in the middle, it's not proper glove. It's not fit for purpose. Glove must fit your hand. And God also made us, Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. Why? Because I'm about to slip myself into man. I made him just like me so that I can be in him. God created us to be in us for him to be our enjoyment so we can be his dwelling and we are in him, he's in us. And then we, Satan said, no, eat me, eat me, eat me, eat me. We ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of good and evil, knowledge and good, whether good or evil. Certain thing, knowledge. We ate it and the nature of Satan entered us. Christ had to come and punish and crush the power, the venom of the serpent in us so that we, we can be free now to eat him and have him. So when you come to him, you have life. He says that John chapter 5 verse 24, he talks about he who believes in the son has life. He who does not believe in him is already condemned. It's not that he's condemning you. He's already condemned if you don't believe in him. So how do you have life? By believing him. For God so loved the world that 
he gave his only begotten son, John 3, 16, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or the Zoe kind of life, the God kind of life. Hallelujah. Let me finish. Let me round up now. So in the beginning, God created and asked man to eat so he can be in man. His favorite position or his favorite place of dwelling, his actual comfortable, the only place God can really dwell on earth is in the spirit of man. In the spirit, in your spirit. So the whole thing is in the spirit. Now, when you become a Christian, you are born again. When you become a genuine Christian, you are born again. Now you can begin to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So you begin to worship the Father from your inner man. From your inner man. As I said from the beginning, that worship is, is from the, it doesn't emanate from the outside. It emanates from your spirit. It, 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 it generates, it, worship comes first from your spirit. How does it enter your spirit? That's what the, this whole teaching is actually about. Let me just go ahead and myself a little bit. Worship has to do with your, you receiving an insight and understanding of God on through your spiritual enlightenment or through spiritual enlightenment, you receive understanding and the informed mind will just set the heart on fire. When the justified mind, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23 said, be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's not just your mind, the spirit. There is a spiritual aspect. Said, be ye renewed in the spirit of your mind. This thing is a spiritual thing. Let me just quote a few scriptures about the spirit. In the book of Revelations, chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard. You have to be in the spirit to operate in the things of God. You have to be spiritual. This thing is a spiritual thing. He says the natural man does not receive the things of God because what? First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. They are spiritually designed. Neither can he receive them. Why? Because they are spiritually designed. It takes the spirit to access God. It takes the spirit. Enter your spirit. Engage your spirit. He said I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me. Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. Revelation chapter 4 verse 2. He said I was in the spirit. Revelation chapter 17 verse 3. He said uh, I will, he carried me in the spirit in Revelation chapter 21 verse 10 he carried me, he took me in the spirit, so Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, I was in the spirit Revelation chapter 4 verse 2 I was in the spirit, Revelation chapter 17 verse 3 in the spirit, Revelation chapter 21 verse 10, in the spirit it has to be in the spirit this thing can only happen in the spirit, he says that those who worship the father must worship the father what? In spirit, in spirit, in spirit. So it's not about where I'm going, this is where I'm going to worship. I have to go here. I have No, it's not that. It starts with the spirit. It starts with your spirit. It starts, listen, it is not poor music that hinders worship. It is ignorance and lack of spirituality. Ignorance, you don't know. He said, him who you worship without knowing. <laughs> That's what the problem is. You don't know. It's either you don't know him, you don't know him, or you may, sometimes people know about him, but they are not engaging their spirits. So it is engagement, or, or let me put it this way, worship. Ignorance will hinder your praise. 
Spiritlessness will invalidate your worship. Ignorance hinders praise. You can't praise God ignorantly. In Psalm 47, verse 7, it says that praise the Lord with understanding. In spirit, you have to be in the spirit. He said, I serve my fa- the God of my fathers in the spirit. Paul learned how to, or he knew how to engage his spirit. My brothers and sisters, let us engage our spirits. He said, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It happens, Galatians 5, 16. It happens in the spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. I like that one. Hmm, that's a nice one. He said, for the spirit of God, uh, the spirit himself, Bears witness with our spirits. This transaction, trans- godly transaction, take place in your spirit. In your spirit. So let's that let us not let our worship just be the exterior, the scene, the forms. True worship. Worship is not about a certain place. Worship is not about a certain time. Five a.m. Did it. Worship is not about a certain, uh, about certain words. If you don't speak these words, say these words, say this, say this. Listen, you don't have to pray in King James English. Oh, thou, oh, heavenly father, thee, thee who created, no, it's not necessary. True worship has, is not about certain words. Oh, hallelujah. That's good news for some of us who may not have all kinds of theolog- theological terminologies. You don't need that. To be a true worshiper, you don't need that. So worship is not as, uh, about a certain place. Worship is certainly not about as, uh, uh, as, uh, a certain time. Worship is not about certain ways. Worship is certainly not about a certain architecture. If you don't have a cathedral, you can't worship. In Acts chapter 2, Bible says that they worshipped, they shared, they broke bread from house to house. They were having cool, they were okay. They didn't have church buildings, but they were okay. Am I saying church buildings are not important? Never. I never said that. They are important. They are necessary. But the point I'm making is that now that we are not in church, some of us don't even have, actually have never, have not really have a church building, purpose-built church building, but that cannot hinder your worship. We are not able to even meet physically to have the regular church, which is so critical and essential for your spiritual nourishment and well-being. However, that does not mean you cannot be a true worshiper. People, Paul was in prison and yet he was a true worshiper in prison. He said, don't be ashamed of me. He's prisoner. He's in prison. Bible said at midnight, Paul and Silas were therefore prison, put in prison. But Acts chapter 16 verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and praised God and the prisoners heard them. In prison, they worshipped. They worshipped in prison. So nothing is a true worship cannot be restricted by anything because guess what? Guess what? Guess what? True worship is a matter of the spirit. It's from your inner man. It's from your spirit. It's from your spirit. And my, what I want to encourage you to do is to let's learn how to engage our spirits. Let's walk in the spirit. Let's get, get, learn second Timothy chapter four, verse 22. It said, Christ be with your spirit. Your spirit. Say, this is a spiritual thing. This thing is a spiritual thing. This thing is, he said, I pray for you. Ephesians chapter, chapter, Ephesians chapter, um, three, verse 16, that 
verse 16 and 17, that God, may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's a spiritual thing. I'm praying that you be granted the spirit of wisdom and knowledge in the revelation of him. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. In, uh, Ephesians again, chapter 4, verse 23, it says that be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, don't be filled with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says that, um, praying all prayers in the spirit. Let me just read that one. I would like to read that bit. I think it's in this Bible I opened. Ephesians is not this one. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I hope somebody is receiving something. Ephesians chapter, chapter 6. So I, I read chapter 5 verse 18 and chapter 6 verse 18 too says that, um, praying always with all, uh, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. In the spirit. Stay in the spirit. Transact in the spirit. The true worshippers can only do business in the spirit. You, when you move out of the spirit, you begin to lose your relevance to God. You lose your relevance to God when you operate away from the spirit. Stay in the spirit. Stay in the spirit. Tend to your spirit. Tend to your spirit. The time is coming and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For that's such ticket the Father to worship him. Amen. We thank God for using his servant, Reverend Dr. David Entry, to share this awesome word. If this message has blessed you in any way, please spread the word by sharing it and send us an email to amen at charis.org. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter for regular updates on what God is doing here at Caris Ministries. Stay blessed.